I'm going to be reading Genesis 18, verse 1 to 15. And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree. While I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves and after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, quick, three says of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and the calf that he had prepared and set it before them. And he stood by them under the tree while they ate. They said to him, Where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, She's in the tent. The Lord said, I will surely return to you, and by this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. And Sarah was listening at the tent door behind him. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of the woman had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself and said, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to him, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Shall I indeed bear a child, now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied it, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, No, but you did laugh. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Estella. Uh, That's normally how things go in my household. Uh, Jen laughs at my jokes, and I say, did you laugh? And she says, no, I didn't laugh. So that's the best I've got. Thanks so much for coming this morning, the faithful remnant of real Christians at St. Clair Community Church. While everyone's warm in their beds at home, we're here serving Jesus, so it's good to see you. And we're starting into our Advent season here at St. Clair. Before we dive into the text, a couple of things. I do want to say a couple of thank yous. One is just to say thank you so much for everyone who participated in the carol service last night. For anyone who was here, it was an amazing evening, and I know a lot of our community put time and effort and energy into that. So I want to say thank you for that. And the second one is, as we enter into this Advent season, in your bulletin this morning, some of you may have seen this. Ooh, Advent week one. It's a prayer guide that we're going to be posting. We're going to be posting a different one every week. We're in a year where we're looking at prayer and hospitality as two of our themes. And a lot of the time when we think about prayer, the question I often get is, Matt, I'm really intrigued by prayer, but actually I find it hard to pray. Because what do you do when you're not always sure what to say? And I find in my own life liturgical or set prayers are really helpful. So we're going to be giving out this prayer guide, and this is just something you can do in the morning and the evening as we enter into this Advent season. And I think it'd be really helpful if you're thinking, I'd love to know how to pray, but I would need some help with that. So please take that and use it, and we'll be posting it as well this week so you can get it online as well. I've grown to really love the Advent season. I don't know about you, and if you, depending on what community you grew up in, for me, Advent was always tied to Advent calendars, which was really terrible tasting chocolate, which was never as good as dairy milk when you open the door. But for some reason, because there was one every single morning, you still ate it. And so Advent to me was tied to Advent calendars, but I didn't really understand it 
And as I've got older, I've really learned to appreciate the Advent season. And I would say for the church in our current cultural moment, I would go as far as saying I think Advent may be one of the most important seasons. Fleming Rutledge, who's one of my favorite female theologians, says Advent starts in the dark. Because when God spoke to Israel, they're in a point of complete darkness. And into that, God said, a Messiah is coming. But as Dave said beautifully last night, there was going to be a bunch of years, over 400 years, for waiting and longing for the Messiah. So the season of Advent is not one of instant gratification, which we get every single day. The season of Advent is this longing and waiting for God to be revealed. And I think it puts us in touch with our deepest longings too. It's interesting, I was looking into the uh, history of Advent, and four of the original themes of Advent were these. Imagine this preaching series. We like peace and hope and joy, some of our themes. These were the original themes of Advent, death, judgment, heaven, and hell. How encouraging. But I think it's because... It puts us in touch with the brokenness and pain of the world as we long for the Messiah to come. So as we think about this Advent season at St. Clair, we're really looking at God with us and this idea of hospitality as we enter into this Advent season, that God has been hospitable to us in welcoming us in through the person of Jesus. And I picked a really obvious scripture to start out our Advent season, Genesis 18. But as I was reading through this story of hospitality, I actually think there's a bunch of threads that we can tie into the Advent season. Just a brief reminder of the story that Estella read to us. The story starts in the middle of the desert with Abraham at the entrance to his tent. It's interesting that the desert is the place we go to hear God because there's nothing else there. And if there's a picture that I put on the screen, I don't know if that'll work, of a tent there, James. I don't know if we have that. Oh, it didn't work. I took a picture of this Bedouin tent. The Bedouin community is probably the closest to this community that Abraham was in. And there's this great picture of this Bedouin tent, and all you can see around it is sand, as far as the eyes can see. There's nothing else there. So in this uh, wilderness, in this desert, Abraham is at the entrance to his tent, and all of a sudden, three visitors show up. Now, what we find out later on is most scholars believe it's God and maybe two angels who are these three visitors, but Abraham doesn't know it at the time. In most of your translations, you'll see the word Lord, but that isn't actually signifying God. Lord is just a term of endearment to a stranger in that culture. So Abraham sees these strangers approaching, gets up and runs towards them. Which is really interesting because the last story before Genesis 18 is Abraham being circumcised. So I don't know how an older man who was just circumcised ran, but anyway, I'll leave that to your imagination. But Abraham sees these people and in that culture, welcome and hospitality is just what you do. A few years ago, I helped a friend move into Westdale, and uh, as we're moving all his stuff into his house, this lady, three times during the day, brought over unbelievable baked goods, brought lunch, and brought coffee throughout the day. So finally, I paused and said to her, would you like to move into the Sherman neighborhood next to me? Because you're such a kind, lovely lady. And she said to me, oh, I'm from Iraq. 
And so that's just what we do to strangers. We welcome them because that's just culturally our process. And so Abraham's natural response is to welcome them. But here's what's interesting to me in the story. He doesn't ask for their ethnicity. He doesn't ask them for their political opinion. And he doesn't ask them for their religious persuasion. He welcomes them because they're human beings. Or actually, they're God and two angels, but we'll get to that later. But Abraham welcomes them because that's what he does. And I think for us, there's something in this story. Henry Nouwen says this, Our society seems to be increasingly full of fearful, defensive, aggressive people, anxiously clinging to their property and inclined to look at their surrounding world with suspicion, always expecting an enemy to suddenly appear, intrude and do harm. But still, that is our vocation, to convert the enemy into a guest and to create the free and fearless space where brotherhood and sisterhood can be formed and fully experienced. So what we notice in the story is Abraham says, get a bunch of flour. We'll talk about that in a moment, the amount of flour he asked for, and also get the calf and get some milk and curds. Abraham is saying, get everything we've got and give it to these strangers as we wash their feet as they arrive. See, this is deeply costly to Abraham and Sarah. As I said before, I don't get this story. They're in the middle of the desert, so I don't know where they get all their other supplies from afterwards, but they give everything they have to the people who come to be with them. I think there's something in that for us. I was in Europe a few weeks ago, and a friend told this story, uh, and I'll give Cole's notes. There's so much more to it than this. But he and his church were in this building. They had a prayer room. And the only window in this prayer room faced this co-working space that was being built opposite them. It was going to be the biggest co-working space in North America. And so the friends of this church were praying. They saw this building every day and prayed for seven years that God would give them a space in this building. Because in the middle of the co-working space, they were building an auditorium that a church or a community group could be in. After seven years of praying every single day, someone approached them and said, hey, would you like to move your church into this building? So with much joy and celebration, they moved into this space. Things were going well until one day, this young pastor of this other church showed up. And as my friend says, he was really into like mega church and attractional. And he approached me and said, could we share the space with you? And my friend said, In his mind, he said, no, because you obviously don't do church as Jesus does church. You should not move in. And so this friend said he felt, oh, I can't really say no to him. So I'll arrange to meet him and come for a meeting. He said before the meeting, while he's in a really bad way, thinking, oh, these people do church and they do it in a way that you shouldn't really do church and things have changed. We should be missional and family oriented. He said when about half an hour before this young pastor showed up, My friend said, God said to him, Luke 15. He said, oh, I recognize that story. Yeah, the story of the prodigal son. In the story of the prodigal son, the uh, father goes out to the older son, and the older son says to him, why are you giving that young son all these amazing gifts? He squandered all your wealth and inheritance. And the father says, I'm always with you, and everything I have is yours. And my friend said, God said to him, give that church all your stuff. Welcome them into your space and give them everything you have. 
And he went on to say, after crying for a long time, he said it was really funny, he was weeping, and the guy, the young pastor came to the door and said to him, hey, I've only got like 20 minutes for a meeting, are you okay? Because my friend was like weeping uncontrollably, and he said to me, Matt, what if we were just more open-handed with stuff that doesn't actually belong to us? See, the scripture says God owns it, he's just asking us to steward it. So what if that was our response in terms of hospitality? to others. I love the rest of the story because as Abraham practices hospitality, it says they ask him, oh, where's your wife, Sarah? And so Abraham says, well, she's kind of out the back. She's been making all the food for us. And they say, oh, and one of them says, who we believe at this point is God, oh, in a year's time, I'm going to return and Sarah is going to have a son. And there's this beautiful interaction, as I said earlier, between uh, Sarah and God and Sarah and own thoughts about, oh, well, how can that happen? Because the Bible's so polite. We're advanced in years, which I just think is great. So I'm going to say that now as you look at me. Well, I'm just very advanced in years. Sarah's old, so this is a ridiculous thing that she would have a child. And this beautiful refrain where God says, oh, nothing is impossible for the Lord which in a few weeks' time, Rob Miller's going to preach on that same verse that comes later in the Christmas story and the biblical narrative in the New Testament. So what does all this mean for us living in Hamilton in 2019 as we approach the Advent season? I think the first thing is the story takes place in the wilderness. And as I said, Advent takes place in the dark. See, when we wait and long for something, we're confronted by the very things we try to save us and rescue us. By being patient and waiting, it gives us time to reflect on maybe the things we build up that we think can actually rescue us in our own lives. What's interesting about the Christmas season is we have these lovely nativity scenes and these lovely pictures on calendars and posters of these beautiful scenes of like sheep, and Mary and Joseph in this lovely manger, and it looks so beautiful and pretty. But Advent is dangerous and threatening. I know that because when you read the biblical narrative, it says Herod's first response to hearing about the baby is wanting to kill him. See, Jesus is always threatening to our own kingdoms and our own empires that we build. See, in this Advent season, Jesus would come to us and he would love us, but he would also confront us. There's a beautiful line in the Advent in one of the Christmas songs where it says, the thrill of hope, a weary world rejoices. Saying to a friend this week, I want to change that line to the threat of hope, a weary world rejoices. Because to the world in which we live, hope is threatening. And yet Jesus comes in to this season and this space. The second thing that I think uh, we can look out for this Advent season is this idea of hospitality. In a season where maybe some of us uh, understand our family dynamics, and so we've got lots of times of family and it's joy and a time of celebration, for many people, there are nowhere to go and there's no spaces to go. What does it look like if we as a community started to practice radical hospitality to the stranger? And what about if it starts in the Advent season? What was really interesting about the story that I read is it says, Abraham says to Sarah, get some flour. And the measurement 
that was read was three seahs of flour, which if you're like me, you just read over it. And so I was trying to do some research this week into the detail of the story. And three sayers of flour is about 75 pounds. So they are really going all out of hospitality. Now, I don't know if you've ever made bread before. Um, Just a small, very small aside. Joel Rolveld makes bread for our missional family. And if you want to come to the best missional family, because Joel makes the most amazing bread, come to us. Anyway, or maybe we can have some missional family bread bake-off thing. I'm sure some British show will do a baking show like that someday. Anyway, so that's a lot of flour. It's interesting because later on in the New Testament, in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus tells this parable, and this is what he says in Matthew 13, verse 33. He told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into around 30 sayers of flour, if you look at the translation, until it all worked through the dough. Now, I'm no biblical scholar, but I wonder if Jesus is saying this, because his audience, a Jewish audience, would know exactly the story he's talking about. What if Jesus is saying this? The kingdom of heaven is like, when we entertain strangers and practice hospitality. What if Jesus is saying, if you want to know where God is breaking through in your life, welcome the stranger. If you want to see the kingdom of God break through in your life, welcome the stranger. I fully believe that the credibility of our faith rests on the quality of our hospitality. So what would that look like this Christmas season? The beautiful thing is that Abraham doesn't know he's welcoming God in the story. He's just practicing hospitality. And I think many times when we do that, we actually recognize that as we welcome the stranger, we may well be welcoming Jesus too. The writer of the Hebrews in Hebrews 13 and verse 2 says, practice hospitality because in doing so, you may be entertaining angels and be unaware of it. It's almost like Jesus is saying in Matthew 25, I was hungry, did you feed me? I was thirsty, did you give me a drink? I was in prison, did you come and visit me? If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. It's as if Jesus is saying, as you welcome others, because they're made in my image, you are welcoming me. I think one of the ways that we follow Jesus in welcoming the stranger is also to welcome those people we disagree with. Often uh, our approach to the other is because we see them with some sense of skepticism and we don't really understand them. But what if we welcome people that we fundamentally disagreed with and as we sit at the table with them, we notice them not too dissimilar to who we are. A friend of mine says when we have a meal It's really important because at a meal, you have to put down your weapons. So when we have a meal together, we welcome someone who may be different to us, but in doing so, we see them as image bearers of God. So Advent starts in the dark. Hospitality is central to the way of Jesus. But also what we notice in the story is that God says to Abraham and Sarah, you're going to have a child and I'm going to return in a year and that will have come true. 
See, what I notice in the story is, and some of us in our community have recently had children, you just have to go through the pregnancy first and foremost to get to the promise of what's been given. See, it just takes time. After 400 years of silence, an angel appears to Zachariah, also a couple who couldn't have a child, and the first line is, don't be afraid. And we see the birth of John the Baptist and the rest of the story of the New Testament changes. See, sometimes when we're in this period of waiting and longing, we don't actually see what God is doing, but somehow he's at work in the midst of it. Maybe one of the questions this Advent season is, would we have eyes to see where God is at work, even when it doesn't seem like it? I'm going to close with this. Eugene Peterson is one of my favorite Uh, theological heroes. He has this great line where he says, Isaiah chapter 9, that we know really well, says, for unto us a child is born, and for unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. And Eugene Peterson says the context of that is Israel are at their lowest point. It couldn't be any darker And if you think about it, like the world is in just a dark and treacherous place, and here's what God says. You're in complete and utter darkness. Here's a baby. It doesn't make any sense. Like, God, you've got to do something else. But you see, God doesn't always work in the ways we expect, but he actually works in the ways we need. And so as we enter into this Advent season, would we have eyes to see where God is maybe at work in and amongst us. And maybe in the midst of darkness, there is a light because good news of great joy is upon us.